Morning, Love Chapel Hill. How we doing today? Good, good, good to hear it. All right, today is Pentecost Sunday, which celebrates the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the first believers to establish and give birth to and unleash the global church of Jesus in the world. So that's what we're going to be celebrating today. And uh, throughout this week, thinking about the birth of the global church, I've also obviously been thinking about some overlap with us here personally and our own small expression of the kingdom here in this little corner of the kingdom. And I've been thinking about those Holy Spirit stories that were a part of the birth of this church and the unleashing of this church as well. And I've just been thinking back on some of those Holy Spirit stories and the way that the Holy Spirit moved in ways and wrote stories that only He could write. And I've just been moved thinking back over some of those again. I think about my mom and dad who are here today. Let's give it up for them. Yeah. And the fact that in 1987, yes, that long ago, they sensed the call to plant a church in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. And so we were pastoring this little church as a family. We were there at this little church in Bagley Swamp, North Carolina. Raise your hand if you've heard of it. Yeah. What? Some people said yes. You're all lying. Okay. Except that guy. All right. Bagley Swamp from there to Chapel Hill. And I can remember when we moved here uh, and the way that we drove into town. And I can remember us passing by the stone walls that are just right across the street over there. And that memory just burning in my mind. And like what an amazing and beautiful place this was as we were moving here. And that move got this town into my heart in such an inescapable kind of way. I fell in love with this community, but also their faithfulness in that planted a seed in me to know that if God was calling me into something, to step out into something, then I could trust him to give him my yes because I had seen how he had proved himself faithful over and over again. So I'm so grateful for that. I'm grateful for our friends Steve and Debbie Smith who are here today. Raise your hand. Yeah. Let's give it up for them. They joined mom and dad in the planting of that church in 1987 and were core members from the very beginning of that. And then when we moved back here in 2008, they said yes to help us do that all over again. I'm so grateful for you and the way that you have led so beautifully and selflessly in this church. Um, when I was talking with Steve a couple of months ago about the transition that was coming and sharing that with him, he said, well, I can remember when your dad had the same conversation with me. And at the close of that conversation, he said, oh, I'll tell you what, if Luke and Sam ever feel called to start a church, Make sure we're the first call holding you to that, all right? Beautiful. I love that. I'm thinking about Sarah and when we were at the end of seminary and trying to discern what God's calling was for us and we were wrestling through that. We were in a time of really wrestling and not having clarity about what that was going to be. And knew that there was this dream about planting a church and moving back here someday, but feeling like that was probably further down the road once we were established and had some experience and had some financial security and other things like that. And uh, we were interviewing at a church not far from here, and it was so close to what the dream was that God had planted in our hearts, but it was just not quite that. But we thought maybe this was that step then to get us to that dream. And on the drive home from that interview, we were silent in the car for a while. And I can remember, I can remember her breaking the silence and saying, I don't think we're supposed to go there. <laughs> and me being so relieved because I'm like, I don't think we are either. I'm so glad you said that. 
And then the next thing that came out of Sarah's mouth when she said, I think God might be calling us to plant a church. I think it might be time now to do it. And the way that the Holy Spirit used her to confirm that and to seal that in me. And I'll always be so grateful for that. I think about Justin, one of my best friends in this whole world, and how we met Justin and became friends with him during seminary. And uh, not just became friends, but the way that we met is, is we moved into a duplex. And on the other wall from that duplex were Justin and Janine Simmons. And our friendship was born. And dreams were stirred up together. And Justin was the first person to say, yeah, I'll go. I'll jump off a cliff with you. Let's go try this thing. And I'm so grateful for his friendship in every single step of the way, along the way. And Derek and April Hastings and Jason and Amber Tuggle and so many others who have poured so much into this journey. I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful for the way that some of you were a part of those very first love missions that we did together before we were ever meeting and gathering for worship but wanting to express the love of Jesus in a way that was compelling and creative in this community, whether that was paying for people's parking on Franklin Street or setting up a peanut butter and jelly sandwich buffet and banquet on Franklin Street and all of the other creative ways that you expressed the grace and mercy of Jesus. I've been thinking about all of that this week and those Holy Spirit stories that we have been able to experience together and the kind of Holy Spirit stories you can't make up. Only He can write them. And I'm so grateful to every single one of you for being a part of this story and for letting me be a part of it with you too. I love you so much. I'm so grateful for you. The greatest Holy Spirit story of all, Acts chapter 2. Let's look at verses 1 through 12 together. When the Holy Spirit is poured out on those first believers and the church is born, the movement and the mission of Jesus unleashed and empowered in this world in a way that the world still hasn't gotten over. And the kingdom of Jesus continues to roll on because of what happens on this day that we're about to read about together. Acts chapter 2, starting with verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in their own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues." Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? And that's the question that we get left with. What does this mean? Holy Spirit, we ask you today to teach us what this means. To walk us through the reality of Pentecost and the reality that we continue to live in today because of that. The way that you are not only present with us here in this gathering, but you are present within us as believers in Jesus, filled with your spirit and empowered to walk in discipleship with Jesus. 
empowered to bear witness of what the kingdom looks like here and now through our lives. Empowered to show the beauty of the gospel and the power of its transformation in us. Help us to live that out. Make us that kind of community together. We ask you to move and to lead and to speak and to guide. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we're going to take that question uh, that, that we ended with here of what does this mean? Uh, and we're going to break that down together. All right? We're going to ask that question of what does this mean? What does Pentecost mean? And then we're going to ask the follow-up question of why does it matter? All right, what does it mean and why does it matter? Here's what Pentecost means. On a, on a real just beginning level, all right, the word Pentecost means 50th day. All right, it means 50th day. It's a variation from the word penta, which means five. So a pentagon is a five-sided shape. Uh, five shape. Uh, the Pentateuch in Scripture, the first five books of the Bible, the books of Moses, often referred to as the Torah of the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament. Uh, so that word means five. Pentecost means 50. 50th day. All right. 50th day after what? Does anybody know what this is marking? 50 days after what in the, in the events of Christianity and the, the Jesus story? What's happening 50 days after what? Somebody said resurrection. Yeah, good guess though. Ascension is a part of that, all right? So 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus, after the crucifixion and then following the resurrection of Jesus. So last week, uh, the word ascension just got brought up. And last week we were celebrating the ascension, right? Which is 40 days after the resurrection of Jesus. And so... For 40 days after his resurrection, Jesus appears to his disciples and he opens their eyes again to the realities of the kingdom and he teaches them about the kingdom of God. And then 10 days after that, after the ascension, comes the day of Pentecost. At the ascension, Jesus promises his followers that the gift of the Father is going to be poured out on them, that the Father is going to pour out the Holy Spirit on them, and he commands them to wait in Jerusalem until that happens. And so they do. And so we were celebrating that last Sunday, and we know that that's only seven days apart, right? But we celebrate Ascension Sunday. Actually, it's the Thursday before that, right, where Ascension Day gets celebrated. So there's 10 days between the Ascension and the day of Pentecost. And on Pentecost, that promise that Jesus makes at the Ascension, as he's ascending back to the Father to sit at his right hand, to take his rightful place as the reigning, unrivaled king of all things, he promises that the Holy Spirit will be poured out. And that's what happens on the day of Pentecost. That promise is fulfilled. It is a turning point day in the history of the world. The church is born and a new reality is unleashed in this world. And so what happens here in Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost is a leap forward into the future. We see the movement of God unleashed in a brand new way in the world. But even though it's a leap into the future, we know that it also brings the past along with it. And like what we see happen so often throughout the stories of Jesus and throughout this grand narrative of Scripture, the stories of Jesus are groundbreaking and new in so many ways, and yet they're always bringing the past of the whole story along. They are fulfilling that grand sweep and scope of the narrative of God's engagement with humanity in the world. And the same thing is happening at Pentecost. Yes, it's new. It's the start of something that is groundbreaking. But at the same time, it is the completion of an ancient story that the Jewish people had been celebrating year after year after year in this rhythm of remembrance. And this moment of Pentecost brings all of that history together. See, Pentecost wasn't just the name of this Christian 
history day that we celebrate, it was already the name of this Jewish festival that the people had been celebrating throughout their history since God set them free from slavery in Egypt. And so the resurrection of Jesus and the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus happen on this level and at the same time those events are happening as the Jewish people are celebrating what festival from their history? Does anybody remember? What does the, the resurrection and the crucifixion overlap with what Jewish festival? Passover, exactly, all right? So hold these two. You see that the layers, and yet they're connected to each other, right? And in Passover, they're celebrating the way that God had set the people free from slavery in Egypt and had opened up the way of the Red Sea for them to pass through what was certain death, to walk through death into the new promise. And then in the story of Jesus, his crucifixion and his resurrection are happening at the same time that the people are celebrating that festival. And so while they're gathered together with that memory and celebrating how God moved for them to set them free from slavery in Egypt, Jesus is being crucified as the Passover lamb to set them free from the slavery to sin. And as they're remembering how God opened up the Red Sea, what was certain death for them, and led them through into this unexpected new life and promise, Jesus is being resurrected from the dead, opening up certain death, being opened up and becoming life. And so you see these two things happening at the same time. And to the Jewish people who were steeped in this story, who lived in the rhythm of remembrance year after year, they see this unfolding and they make that connection. And they see that God is completing his ancient story. That Jesus is the completion of the covenant that God made with the people of Israel. Now, move forward 50 days. And it's happening again. Same thing is happening on this plane. So in Passover, when they're celebrating in the memory of Passover and they're set free from slavery of Egypt and, and moving towards the promised land, 50 days after that comes this celebration of Pentecost, 50th day, where they remember how God met them in the desert. Does anybody remember this event? It's from the book of Exodus chapter 19 in the story of Moses. What happens 50 days after that Passover? Who remembers? How does God meet the people? Absolutely, Annalise. Absolutely. It's God meets them on Mount Sinai and gives the Ten Commandments to Moses. Okay? In that moment, 50 days after the Passover, in that moment, God descends on Mount Sinai, and as he descends, the mountain is covered with fire and smoke because of the presence of God. There's the sound of a rushing wind, and the ground is shaking because of the presence of God. And he gives them the law, and he establishes them as his covenant people through the law. And he says to the rest of the world, these people that I am now making a nation, these people are my covenant people and this is what it looks like to be my people in the world. This is what it looks like to be my covenant people in the world. So that's happening. And so the Jewish people year after year celebrate this festival of Pentecost and remember how God did that. Now take it back up to the level of what's happening again in Acts chapter 2. And we see the way that it mirrors and the way that it echoes what God has already accomplished in his history of movement among his people. And now he's taking this to a completely different level. He's not just writing the law on stone. He's writing it on their hearts by taking up residence within them. It's not just his presence descending on a mountain, but it's his presence filling the people. It's not just establishing a covenant nation, but unleashing a kingdom into the world that has no borders and no barriers. And he's saying to the world on Pentecost, 
This is what it looks like to be my covenant people. Watch them. Watch them. And in the same way that his promise was for the people of Israel, it wasn't designed to isolate the people of Israel. It wasn't designed to make them an isolation from the world, but instead an invitation to the world. Come and be a part of this too. And the same thing happens at Pentecost as the church is unleashed. It's an invitation to the whole world to come and to experience what it means to live in and to embody and to be the kingdom of God here in this world. He does it again. He does it again. God will not abandon the stories that he starts. And when he starts a story, he brings it all the way to completion. And you'll see that happening over and over and over again. As you read through Scripture, continue to look for those connections. Continue to look for how this beautiful book is in a conversation with itself. The best commentary on Scripture is Scripture. Allow the echoes to speak to you and to help tie those pieces of the story together. And remember that it all has a place to fit. Look for how it fits together. So that's what Pentecost is about. It's this echo of what he did before. It's a completion and taking it beyond to a level they never imagined possible. After God descends with the, to the people on Mount Sinai in the Moses story in Exodus 19, after that, he also establishes his presence with them in a tabernacle. And he says, my presence will take up residence within this tabernacle, this set-aside space where I will live among you. And then after they settle in the promised land, after David passes away and his son Solomon becomes king, Solomon builds a temple for God. And so from the tabernacle to the temple, but it's still the same idea, the presence of God dwelling there among his people. But because of Pentecost, there are no more tabernacles. There is no more temple. You are now the moving, mobile tabernacles and temples of the presence of God. The presence of God now fills you because of the day of Pentecost. His presence has been unleashed in this world and it's moving in this world through you. You are the home of the Most High God. And he is living inside of you. What a thought. What a thought. The person that you're sitting next to right now is a home of the Most High God, filled with the Holy Spirit, the very presence of God moving in this world. What a thought. So beautiful. So that's what it means. Why does it matter? Why does it matter? Because of what we just said. There are now no more tabernacles or temples. Now the dwelling place of the Most High God is within you. And what happens next is the Holy Spirit within you empowers and enables discipleship to Jesus in your life. That is not accomplished through your own strength and stress and your own abilities. It's through the work of the Holy Spirit cultivating that flourishing, deeply rooted life in you. That Psalm 1 image that we talked about a few weeks ago. Now the Holy Spirit is empowering and enabling real transformation in your life. Real transformation. Change is actually possible in your life. Not by your own strength, but by the freeing power and redeeming power of the Holy Spirit at work in your life. Right now, some of you are thinking that freedom is not possible for you. Freedom is possible because of the power of the Holy Spirit. Some of you are thinking change is not possible for me. Change and transformation is possible because of the power of the Holy Spirit now living within you. A life of holiness and sanctification, which is just fancy language that means becoming more and more like Jesus, transformed by his holy love, working all the way through us, leaving no part of us untouched or unchanged, and then working its way out of us into the world 
around us. The Holy Spirit within you enables and empowers mission. Scripture teaches us and the letters of Paul tell us that now every believer is equipped with gifts of the Spirit. And those gifts are given in diverse ways and to diverse people. And they're meant to work together for the building up of the church, for the embodying of the kingdom. Every single one of you has been uniquely gifted in the power of the Holy Spirit for your gifts to be used to build up the church and to embody the kingdom, to bring healing, to bear witness in this world. Every single one of you has been given a gift or gifts of the Holy Spirit. Paul tells us that not every one of us are given all of the same gifts. That the true sign of being filled with the Spirit is not having every one of the gifts of the Spirit. He says those are given in diverse ways. But he does tell us that the true sign of being filled with the Spirit is to continue to grow in grace and to bear the fruit of the Spirit. That every single one of us should bear every single fruit of the Spirit. They should be present in our lives, enabled by the Holy Spirit filling us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. All of those should mark who we are. And when the church in the world is not marked by those things, when people hear those words and they look at the church and they don't see a connection between them, when it becomes nearly laughable, to hold those words up next to the church, that's heartbreaking. Allow the fruit of the Holy Spirit to be a critique of your life. Are these alive in your life? It's the sign of the Holy Spirit living and flourishing within you as you're rooted in Christ, cultivated by the love of the Father, the fruit of the Spirit. I want to challenge you to memorize, if you have not done that before, to memorize the fruit of the Spirit. And I want to challenge you to pray that. Maybe you begin every day. Maybe that's the first thing you do, is you pray through the fruit of the Spirit and you ask Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit to cultivate that fruit in your life. It's a critiquing thing, trust me. When you get to the word patience and you have 10-year-old sons, it's a critiquing thing. This is part of our carpool catechism that we have when I drive the boys to school, all right? I love driving them to school. They want to ride the bus, and I'm like, no, I'm driving you, all right? Because this is time that we have together that's locked in time, and you can't do anything about it, all right? You can't go anywhere. There's no screen to distract you in this moment, all right? So every day we pray that together. We pray through the great commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And we pray through the fruit of the Spirit. And I pray that those will be rooted and alive in them. But it's a critique for me every single day. Every single day, especially that patience one. I want to challenge you to do that. So that's what it means. And that's what it matters. What we see happen next in the story is that Peter then stands up empowered by the Holy Spirit to deliver this sermon where Jesus is the center and he shows how the whole story is connected together, how Jesus is the fulfillment of every covenant God made with his people. And he ties that whole story together in a beautiful way. And at the end, the people who are hearing this, who are witnessing the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, they ask this question, what are we to do? What should we do now? Like we're experiencing this, but what will we do? What should we do? And Peter answers, you should repent and you should be baptized and you should receive the Holy Spirit. Repent. Turn away from your former life. And in turning, not just the turning away, but turn, turning towards Jesus and becoming a follower of of Jesus? Are there things in your life that you need to repent from, that you need to turn from, so that you can more fully turn towards the reality of Jesus as the center point, as the gravitational pull of your entire life? What do you need to turn from 
so that you can turn towards him. Be baptized, which is this public symbol that I am now a follower of Jesus, that I have been buried with Christ and been raised up in the power of his resurrection, that I am now a new creation, that it's not, no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And I will follow him with my whole life. Maybe that's the next step for some people here today. Maybe you've not made that public commitment and you're sensing a stirring that you want to do that and that you need to do that. Do that together. We would love to celebrate that with you. The baptism that represents a surrender to Jesus and a life made new through him and being filled with the Holy Spirit spirit. Maybe you have that sense that you have not experienced the filling of the Holy Spirit. Scripture tells us that when Christ takes up residence within us, that when we receive Christ, when we begin to follow after Jesus, that we are filled with the Holy Spirit. Maybe you need to open up yourself to that in a fresh way today. And maybe it's as simple today as just even where you are, you don't have to make it demonstrative, but even where you are in the smallest of ways, maybe even just holding out your hands on your lap, opening up your hands and saying, Holy Spirit, please fill me. Holy Spirit, I want you to fill me to the full capacity. I surrender all of who I am And I ask for you to fill my life to the point that you overflow out of me into the world around me. I need you to empower me. I need your presence. I need your peace. I need you to guide me. I need your wisdom. I need the fruit of the Spirit in my life. I need you to fill me. Peter says the way to respond to this is to repent, to turn away and turn towards Jesus, to be baptized, to express that I'm a follower of Jesus, I was buried with him and I'm raised with him, and to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's that that then empowers everything else that happens in this book. It's that response and that move of God that then unfolds throughout the rest of this book and beyond and that has been transforming the entire world since this day that we're marking here in Acts chapter 2. As we read throughout the rest of the book on the other side of this response of repentance and baptism and being filled with the Holy Spirit, we see that God is on the move all the way throughout this book. He cannot be held back. The Father is drawing and sending. The Son is seeking and saving. The Spirit is transforming and empowering. And change is happening everywhere. At every turn, someone is giving a sermon or telling a story about how Jesus is the fulfillment of every promise and the completion of every covenant and how He is the reality that we've all been waiting for. We see as we move into the next section that this community that gets developed is so compelling that people are drawn to it and want to be a part of it. It's described in Acts chapter 2 verses 42 through 47. And it's this beautiful description of what the church looked like and continues to look like. Everywhere you find an authentic expression of the church in the world. As you read through the book, you see that the gospel is rolling from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth to where the book ends with Paul imprisoned in Rome, making it to the center of the world. And the story of Jesus continues to roll on today. Every believer is empowered to be a disciple and every disciple is empowered to be a missionary. And that's the design of God's church. As you read through the book, you see that it moves from the steady addition. We see that at the end of Peter's sermon, it says that 3,000 people were added to the church on that day, added to their numbers on that day, which is beautiful, beautiful picture of redemption there. But we move from that addition to multiplication 
that is just unleashed in a way that can't be held back. And the gospel continues to move and move and move. And it's being sent into new places and planted in new places. And it's being multiplied out far beyond anything that could happen if it had stayed centralized in Jerusalem under a couple of core leaders. We see that grace runs wild in this book. Grace runs wild. The people that you would least expect become the best examples of what grace looks like. You get Peter himself. 3,000 people added to the number when Peter preaches. 3,000? That's 1,000 people for every time that Peter denied Jesus. And this person that we often associate with denying Jesus three different times through the redemption of Christ's crucifixion, through the power of Jesus' resurrection, through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, preaches and 3,000 people come to faith in Jesus. And then we get Paul who starts off in this book as the chief enemy of the church, hunting down Christians and putting them to death and throwing them in prison, who is transformed into one of the key missionaries in the history of the world, taking the gospel across barriers time and time again, being willing himself to be thrown into prison and to die for the cause of Jesus that he once persecuted. Barriers get broken over and over again. The Ethiopian eunuch becomes a believer and then takes that message back to the court there. There's Peter's vision where he, he sees the kingdom being opened up to Gentile believers and Cornelius who is a part of that. There's the Jerusalem council where the leaders of the church gather together and say that you don't have to become Jewish in order to become a Christian. That it's about Christ and it's about what Jesus has done for us, not what any of us could do for ourselves. And then you get Paul's journeys where over and over again he's crossing these barriers with the power of the gospel. The broken find healing all throughout this book. Everywhere the Holy Spirit goes, freedom follows. There's spiritual, emotional, mental, physical healing and freedom that happens through the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's not just transformation on a personal level, but also societal as well. Systems and structures get exposed and critiqued and reformed and communities get changed by the power of Jesus unleashed in the world. Courage runs deep through this book, but everywhere you turn that courage is getting tested. As we've said before, you don't need courage unless you're afraid. It's okay to be afraid, all right? Courage is what is waiting on just the other side of fear. And when the Holy Spirit empowers you to take a step, even when you are afraid, and we see that over and over again, it's not that they just don't have any fear, it's that they're filled with courage and they press through that fear anyway. And that courage gets tested over and over again. They have to stand in front of religious leaders. Same ones who had Jesus put to death are now testing them. And they're able to testify and bear witness of the power of Jesus, even under those circumstances. You get Stephen, who becomes the first Christian martyr, who was just waiting tables and now gets to deliver this message and lays down his life for the cause of Jesus. There's James the brother of John, who was one of the first, one of the original 12 disciples who gets called, one of the first four disciples, according to the Gospels, who gets called as a follower of Jesus. And he's also the first of the original 12 to die for the cause of Jesus. Time and time again, they have to stand in front of religious councils. They have to face mobs. They stand in front of Roman courts and government authorities over and over again, but the courage of the Holy Spirit empowers them to continue to bear witness no matter what. Christian tradition and history tells us that all of the founding apostles end up dying in some way as a martyr in some shape or form. And we see Paul himself over and over again in the book of Acts narrowly surviving beatings 
escaping through a city wall in a basket at night, getting thrown into prison over and over again, trial after trial, even getting stoned and left for dead. And where does all of this courage come from? From the indwelling peace and presence and power of the Holy Spirit. That's where the courage comes from. That's what makes them who they are. One last thing that I noticed throughout the book over and over again is that prayer sparks and sustains God's people. The stirring vision and the movement that we see unfolding in this book is not actually linked to the skills of the leaders. It's not about the leaders. But instead, every new breakthrough is directly rooted in prayer and faith and obedience. There is a clear and undisputed reliance on the Holy Spirit all the way throughout this book. And that's what continues to move the church forward. It's not about their strategic vision or the wisdom of key leaders. It's about a surrendered obedience to the moving of the Holy Spirit, the filling of the Spirit, and the empowering of the Spirit. And that's good news for us. Because we no longer have Peter or Paul. We no longer have Lydia or Priscilla or Aquila to lead in the church. But what we do have is the Holy Spirit who continues to fill us, who continues to equip us and send us out on mission as the movement of Jesus in this world. The Holy Spirit fills each and every one of us, equipping us with unique gifts and passions, depth of insight, different measures of faith, different skills and ideas and burdens that become visionary when ignited by the flame of the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit leading us forward. So what's next? What's next for us as the Holy Spirit leads us? The Holy Spirit is still writing His stories and I cannot wait to see what chapters unfold next for this beautiful little corner of the kingdom of God. In closing, I'm going to ask Justin to come forward. He's going to lead us in communion. But before he leads us in communion, come on up, Justin. As I said earlier, Justin, such a core leader from before day one of this church family. And we want to bless Justin and commission Justin as he continues to lead as the lead pastor of Love Chapel Hill, as he continues to follow the Holy Spirit and to give leadership to this church. Uh, if there are other staff members who are available to come forward, I'd love for y'all to come forward too. If you can, nope. All right, lockdown. Gotcha. <laughs> All right. One of the things I told you about how Justin was one of the first to move here. Uh, what I didn't tell you is that fresh off of a master's degree from seminary, uh, Justin was delivering pizzas here in this community <laughs> as a way of just making this possible. There's such humility and beauty um, in the way that he leads. And he went from that to being a temp hired around the university and then uh, took over at the front desk at the Chamber of Commerce and went from answering phone calls and greeting people walking into the building there to being the vice president of the Chamber of Commerce. And uh, we're so thrilled that he has stepped out of that and fully into being the lead pastor at Love Chapel Hill. We're so blessed by his leadership and we can't thank you enough for that. So what I'd like to do right now is I'd like to invite y'all to come forward and to gather around Justin and our pastoral staff here. And we're going to pray a blessing and a commissioning over them. And after that, Justin 
will lead us into communion. So I invite you to come forward and to gather around for that. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for your calling on Justin's life. Thank you for your gifting of him, for his gifts of leadership, compassion, his shepherd's heart, his strategic wisdom and mind. And thank you for the way that he so beautifully embodies your heart. In this church community in obvious ways, but also in our broader community around us. Thank you for the respect and admiration that local business leaders and other leaders in the community frequently express about him. And the way that one of them recently said, quote, Chapel Hill is a better place because Justin is here. Amen to that. And love Chapel Hill is a better picture of your kingdom because he's here and because you have moved him into this new place and new season of leadership in this family. We bless him today. We ask for you to open doors for him that he could never open for himself. We ask that you would multiply gifts and resources for him. We ask that you would give him a joy in the work. We ask for a protection over his family in the work. We pray specifically for Riley and Avery that they would see firsthand the beauty of your church, that they would fall in love with your church most importantly that they would fall in love with you continue to follow you and that you would guide them into the future that you have for them too we thank you for our pastoral staff that is around justin to support him we thank you for allison and joel and dominique thank you for carolyn and for the core leaders that stand around him and advisory team that stands around him. And we just pray for protection and wisdom for enabling and empowering for you to write new Holy Spirit stories that only you can write. See your name we pray. Amen. Yeah, let me do those It is only by the power of the Holy Spirit that we are in this place together. And it is my honor to get to serve alongside of each of you and to be a shepherd, to be the chief follower of Jesus that somewhere in my life you may see Jesus and that we may follow him together. And so that is why we come to this table, 
over and over and over again that this is a regular practice for us. A practice of remembrance. A remembrance of his mighty acts on our behalf. But not just of remembrance, but of empowerment. That here in this place, the Holy Spirit meets us and it is a means of grace that we experience it over and over again to taste and see that He is good and that He loves you. He loves you so much that He poured it all out for you. He gave His life that we might experience life to the fullest. And so just like the disciples on that last night with him, we gather around the table and we remember that his body was broken for you. (laughs) His body broken for you. He says, do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup. He commended it to us, saying, Drink from this, all of you. This is for the forgiveness of your sins. And so with the disciples through the ages, we pray, Holy Spirit, come, pour yourself out on us who are gathered here and on these gifts of the bread and the cup, that they may be for us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, that we might be the body of Christ for the world, redeemed by his blood. So Holy Spirit, meet with us here again today that we may be empowered to go from this place united with Christ, united with one another. In Jesus' name we pray. So we invite you to come today. And our servers are going to tear off a piece of the bread and hand it to you, and you dip it in the cup. So you're going to come on this side and, and come across the front. As you take it, remember... but also pause to be filled, filled with the Holy Spirit. We invite you to come to the table.